0: Good evening, church family. It's so good to to be here with you and worship together. Um, It's an encouragement to come after a long, busy week and to end it off with God's people. Uh, And so thank you so much to Nick and the team for leading us and encouraging our hearts. If you do have your Bibles with you, please turn to Genesis 48. And this evening we're going to read two chapters. They're lengthy. And so I apologize in advance. Uh, Genesis 48 and 49. Uh, this evening we are considering together, and we're looking at how Jacob blesses his family. First off, he blesses Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and then he blesses his other twelve sons. And we'll consider these uh, together. So, if you do have your Bibles with you, please read along with me. This is God's word. Let's hear it together. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. It was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to, to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance." As for me, when I came from Paddam to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations." So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will pronounce blessing, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather... I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. Then chapter 49, then Jacob called his sons and said, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn. "'My might and the first fruits of my strength, "'preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power, "'and stable as water. "'You shall not have preeminence, "'because you went up to your father's bed, "'then then you defiled it. "'He went up to my couch. "'Simeon and Levi are brothers, "'weapons of violence are their swords. "'Let my soul come not into their counsel. "'O my glory, be not joined to their company.' For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Curse be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I'll divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow before you. Judah is a lion's cub from, from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness, who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his fowl to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in vine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea, and he shall become a haven for ships, and his borders shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfold. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Dan shall be shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider, shall fo- his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bow, a fruitful bow by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him and harassed him severely, yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty, by the, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. By the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouch beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, the blessings of your Father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents up to the mountains of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers." Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey, and at evening evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. And then he commanded them and said to them, I am I'm to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of the Hephron, the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abram brought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess a burying place. There they buried Abram and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah and his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were brought from the Hittites, When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Only so far in the reading of God's word may he reform our lives to its truth. Let's pray together again. Heavenly Father, as we've just read this long passage with a lot of details that we can't even begin to touch and expand this evening, we do pray that for the sake of the faith of your elect, for, the, for their knowledge of the truth, for their own godliness and their own hope for eternal life, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. We pray that you would allow your word to uh, find a place in our heart even this evening, that we would, even in a passage like this, behold wonderful and glorious truths about you that you would cause us to see Christ more and more, and to rejoice and rest in Him more and more. Help us in this, we pray, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It's safe to say at Toney Ridge we've had our fair share of deaths, our fair share of funerals and memorials. Uh, In my very short time here, uh, I've attended and led more funerals than I ever did at my previous church. And and although these have been difficult and trying times for us as a church, I'll, I'll be honest, I've been thankful for many of them, for many memorials and funerals of believers that I've attended, for the simple reason that they've given me an opportunity to look back To look back and remember God's grace in the lives of His people. To look back and give thanks to all that God has done for His saints. To to celebrate God's grace. See, funerals and memorials and deaths give us an opportunity to look back with grace and gratitude for God's grace. They're also an opportunity for us to look forward. As we remember loved ones, as we remember them and we give thanks for them, they they motivate us to to follow their example, to honor them with our lives, to to learn from them, to to even leave that time of mourning and grief with the desire to be better. Now, now why, why bring that up? Well, in our passage, we're at another deathbed. We see Jacob here and he's breathing his last breath, And as he prepares to enter his rest, we see Jacob do two things. He's looking back, and he's looking forward. He's looking back because he's a man who has been blessed by God. He's received angelic visions from God. He's seen God face to face. He's wrestled even with God, and he's lived to tell the story. And above all, he's been given the covenant promises of God from his father Abraham and Isaac. This is a blessed man. He's a man who hasn't always enjoyed those blessings. He's a man who's been tried and tested with severe affliction and pain. His daughter, Dinah, was raped. His eldest son, Reuben, slept with his wife. His second and third eldest son, Simeon and Levi, committed genocide. His fourth eldest son, Judah, committed a shameful act of incest. And if that wasn't enough, his favorite son, Joseph, was stolen from him and sold into slavery, losing many precious years. Make no mistake about it, this is a man who knows all about trouble. Uh, Quite rightly, does he tell Pharaoh in Genesis 47, 9, that few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. This is a man of trouble who knows trouble. Yet when we come to this passage, we see that he's not some defeated man. He's not the man he was in Genesis forty two, thirty-six. Remember how he complained and even said that everything is against me? That's not the man we see here. Well, the man we meet here isn't a man waste he might be a man wasting away outwardly, but inwardly he's a man who's been renewed. In fact, look at what he says in chapter 48, verse 16, where he speaks of the angel of the Lord who's redeemed him from all his evil. Even chapter 49, verse 26, he says, the blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. He is saying that he's enjoyed more blessings than Abraham and Isaac. Now compare that to what he told Pharaoh when he told Pharaoh, my life has been full of, of evil. And here he says, my life has, has been redeemed from evil. I've been blessed. You know, what's made the difference in this man of troubles? What's made the difference in his life? It has to be God's providence. It has to be God's unseen and difficult, dark providences God has used the evil that has happened to Joseph to not only save Jacob's family, but to sanctify Jacob's heart. In in that way, I would argue Jacob's example is, is valuable for us. Like Jacob, we have received God's precious promises. We have drunk in many of God's blessings, but also like Jacob, our lives are filled with trouble. They're filled with evil. They're filled with pain and heartache. And, and the result is we, always don't, we don't always see God's hand. We, we don't see Him working out His promises. And, and because of that challenge, because of that reality... I think Jacob's example proves valuable to us. Romans 15:4 reminds us that for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouraging of the scriptures, why, we might have hope. And so to that end, we need to come with this, to this passage with the desire to, to be instructed and also be encouraged so that our faith and our hope would grow in God. In fact, I would suggest that in Jacob we see two things, faith that looks backward and hope that looks forward. I'm a very Baptist tonight, I only have two points, but I'll close with a hymn. The first thing I want you to see is faith that looks backward, faith that looks backward. Uh, what if I had to ask you the question? What would you say is the greatest display of of Jacob's faith? Perhaps you would say it was when he he received that vision from heaven and he saw heaven open up and he saw that ladder descending from heaven. Perhaps you would you would say when he wrestled with that angel of the Lord and he overcame. Well, according to Hebrews, the the most notable display of Jacob's faith is actually to be found in this chapter. When Hebrews 11 catalogs the the great heroes of the faith, when they record the great acts of faith, they don't draw our attention to Jacob wrestling or or dreaming, but to Jacob blessing Joseph's children. Hebrews 11.21 says this, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Now, how does Jacob blessing these sons reveal his faith? James Halden helps us. He says, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, appointing them to be the heads of the tribes, thus giving the birthright to Joseph and proving his faith in the promises of God. See, the fact that he, he passes on these covenant promises onto Joseph's sons reveals that, that Jacob's faith is still alive. It's still set in God's promises. He hasn't abandoned it. No, to the contrary, because of His providence, because of God's providence, he- His faith in those provi- promises has been renewed. Now, all of this shouldn't surprise us because we see him drawing our attention to God's promises in verse 1 to 4 of chapter 48. He says there, And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and, and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you of a, a great a, a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. See, those are promises that Abraham received and believed. Those are promises Isaac received and believed. And those are promises that Jacob receives, believes, and passes on. And he passes them on by adopting these sons of Joseph. Many commentators point out that verses 5 to 16 actually describes an adoption process that is very similar to what happened in the ancient world. That's why he asks what their names are. He knows what their names are, but he asks their name for that reason. That's why he affectionately kisses them and embraces them. That's why they're on his knees. They're teenagers at this point, yet they're on his knees. That's why he announces these covenant blessings. Jacob is adopting these children as his own. That comes out very clear in verse 5. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to the land of Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine. You see more of his faith in in this beautiful invocation in, in verse 15 to 16 of Genesis 48. In this threefold invocation, Jacob's faith is being put on display here for us. He's remembering who his God is. He says there and he it says there and he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the the God who has been my shepherd all my life, long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in, in, in them let my name be carried on. I like what one commentator said, one author said, Jacob is remembering the God who's been behind him in the covenant promises of his fathers. He's remembering the God who's been before him as this shepherd leading him and guiding him, protecting him. And he's remembering the God who's been beside him, who's redeemed him, who's protected him and guided him. See, Jacob's faith is set in his God, and his God has given him very great and precious promises. And by faith, he's passing these promises on. And the point, I think, to get it is simply this. Like his fathers, Abraham and Isaac, Jacob is a man of faith, faith that looks back to God's promises. It's not faith that stays in the past, no. By blessing Joseph's sons, Jacob's faith is active and present, but it is active and present because it's set on God's promises. It relies upon God's word. In this passage, Jacob's eyesight might be gone, but he clearly sees God. He might not see all that well, but he sees his God. What a lesson for us. We might not understand what goes on around us. We might understand our world. We might not even see what God is doing and why he's doing what he's doing. But by faith, we can see him. By faith, we can see him through his promises. I really think, it's, really think God's promise is something we need to give more thought to and more hope, find more hope in. Uh, My favorite definition of what God's promises are is given by Octavius Winslow. He simply says this, they are the unfolding of the heart of God. Isn't that what the covenant promises was to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? They are the unfolding of God's care for these people. That of everyone else in this world, He loves them. He cares them. He will be with them and they will be His people. See, God's promises are the revelation of God's heart for us. Do you want to see God's heart to you, dear Christian? Look to the promises that God gives you. You might not see God's purposes in his painful providence, but you can see his heart through his precious promises. Look back, therefore, with faith to God's promises. In the uncertainty of all that is around us, our eyes need to be fixed on those promises in which God comforts us and encourages us and shows us his commitment to his people. Now now by way of application, let's ask the question, what promises can you look back to with faith? Well, I've got two based on a few things in this passage. Firstly, look back with faith to God's adopting grace. When you look back with faith, to God's adopting grace. In our passage, we see Jacob uh, adopting two sons, sons who we must not forget have an Egyptian mother, sons who have only known Egypt, yet sons who become fully adopted co-heirs with other brothers of Joseph, other sons of Israel. And dear Christian, that is an unmistakable pointer to our own adoption. We were once alienated From the commonwealth of Israel, we were once strangers to the covenants of promise. We were once far off, without God, without hope. But now Christ, in Christ, we have been brought near by his blood. Here is a precious promise, Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Members of the same bodies, partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Dear Christian, know this you do not belong to yourself. If you've believed upon Christ, if you've believed upon the gospel, you belong to God. You've been adopted into His family and God's promises, the promises given to Israel, they're yours. You don't need to worry about what God's heart is to you because he's adopted you and brought you near. With faith, therefore, dear Christian, look back to God's adopting grace. Look back to the promises that that you belong. But also, secondly, look back with faith to God's sovereign grace. God's sovereign grace. In verse 17 to 20, Joseph presents his sons to be blessed and he offers the firstborn, Manasseh, to receive the preeminence and yet Jacob is back to his old tricks. He he does a switcheroo and he gives the preeminence to the secondborn, not the first. And we see this repeatedly in Genesis, don't we? Uh, Instead of, I think that's yours, Nick. Sorry. Instead of the elders receiving uh, the firstborn preeminence, which is natural and to be expected, uh, the blessing goes to the younger. Uh, For example, Seth is blessed instead of Cain, Shem instead of Japheth, Isaac instead of Ishmael, Jacob instead of Esau, and here, Ephraim instead of Manasseh. And all of this is meant to teach us this simple principle, the blessings of God come by God's sovereign grace, not by natural order or individual merit. Dear Christian, that explains your standing before God. You are saved and justified and adopted not because of anything in you, not because of anything natural in you, anything deserving in you. No, your standing before God is purely based on sovereign, free, unmerited, undeserving grace. Take heart in this promise, Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Do you ever feel like you're just not worthy? Do you ever feel like you just don't match up? That God couldn't possibly love you or possibly still care? Take heart, dear Christian. Your standing before God isn't based upon any merit in you. It's based on His grace. His grace to save sinners in our poverty, to lavish us with grace in Christ. And so, dear believer, if you cannot see and understand all that goes around you, look to God's heart for you. Look back with faith to God's adopting grace that you're one of His children, adopted into His family, He he cares for you. He he loves you. And look back with faith to His sovereign grace that He relates to you not based on, on your merit, but on His grace. And to look back with faith in God's promises. The second thing I want you to see this evening is not just faith that looks back, but hope that looks forward. Hope that looks forward. You see that in, the, in chapter 39. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 reminds us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Well, well in a sense, that's what we have described here in, in this chapter. Jacob has faith in God's promises. We've seen that in, in chapter 48. And now that faith causes him to, to look forward with hope. Hope that God will fulfill his promises, even though, even through his, his wayward sons, e- even through the uncertainty of the future. Now, now to understand why I say that, uh, let's consider a few things about these 12 blessings and, and don't worry, I'm not going to do a full exposition of every, 12, every single son, we're going to be here till tomorrow morning, but let's just have a quick overview of what we find here. You know, there's three things essentially I want you to see from this list of Blessings. Uh, The first one I want you to see is the sin of Jacob's sons. Uh, The first three sons really show themselves to be wicked men. They receive unfavorable blessings. In fact, these blessings are are more like chastisements. Some have even called them anti blessings or curses. Reuben, because of his sin against his father, loses his preeminence as the firstborn. He's he's bypassed. And also, Simeon and Levi, uh, because of their violence, are treated with disdain. Jacob says he doesn't want his soul to have anything to do with him. Imagine your father says that about you. Now, see, these brothers are really highlighted as, as wicked men, and we see something of, of, of their sin. Now, what contrary to what others would say, I don't necessarily see these as, as anti-blessings or even curses. Because although they're, they're treated quite harshly, they're nevertheless still included in the family. That should amaze us, that that these wicked brothers, these wicked men are still included. I'm going to get down to that. That should encourage us. But the second thing I want you to see is not just the sin of Jacob's sons, the the struggles of Jacob's sons. Uh, Of the 12 sons mentioned, the majority of them, seven in fact, uh, receive very little description uh, only brief comments are made here and there. Uh, Zebulun, we are told, will have a, be a haven for ships, which is a little bit strange because Zebulun will be landlocked. He it seems to give the idea that he's going to have a frustrating existence. Issachar is a strong donkey, but unfortunately he seems lazy, and he's enslaved. Dan is a judge, yet he's also a snake. Gad will regularly be attacked, but he will survive. Asher will have the food, Naphtali will have the looks, And Benjamin will be a mighty warrior. Now we could spend a lot of time unpacking all of these symbolisms and and pointing out how they've been fulfilled in various degrees. But I think the point we need to get is this simply. God's people will experience difficulty and prosperity. There will be victory. There will be success. There will be honor. But there will also be threats. And failures and struggles. God's people will have a future. These sons do have inheritance. But it will be filled with struggles. Which presses the need for God's help. For God's people to survive. For this family to survive. They need God's help. And I think that's the point of verse 18. Right in the middle of this, these blessings, Jacob says this. He offers this prayer. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Uh, Waltke calls verse 18 the the center line of these blessings. Right in the middle of these blessings, he, he offers this prayer that really points all these brothers to their need. If they have any chance to survive, if they are to be God's people, they need to wait upon the Lord. Even here, Jacob knows that salvation is of the Lord. But how will God actually save these brothers? How will God save this family and keep them? Next thing I want you to see from these blessings is the hope of Jacob's sons. In these blessings, two sons really stand out, head and shoulders above the rest, and that's undoubtedly Judah and Joseph. More is said of them than any other brother, and it's very clearly seen that they're elevated above the others. As to start off with Judah, is exalted above his brothers. Verse eight, 8, we're told that his brothers will turn to him and, and praise him. Why? Well, verse 8 and 9 says because he conquers his enemies, their enemies. He's even likened to a, a conquering and, and victorious lion. And therefore, verse 10, we see that Judah will be enthroned as king. A king who receives a tribute and obedience. A king who, verse 11 to 12 says, enjoys tremendous blessing. All in all, Judah stands out here above the brothers as one to whom they will need to turn to as king. One who will overcome their enemies. But not just that, Joseph also stands out. Joseph, uh, if Judah is the king, Joseph is the prince here particularly as he stands out as one uh, supremely blessed by God. Look at how he's described in verse 25 and 26. He's described as this fruitful bow with blessings that abound. It says that by the God of your Father who will help you, by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb, blessings of your Father's of your Father Almighty on the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting years, may they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. The point is easy to get. Joseph, above all the other brothers, who will receive abundant, overflowing blessings. And if they want to share in these blessings, if these brothers want to partake in the Father's blessings, They will need to turn to Joseph. Do you see where Jacob is is fixing his hope? In In view of the uncertainty of the future, in view of the sinfulness of his children, in view of their struggles that they will have to endure, Jacob presents Joseph and Judah as the hope of his family. How will the Lord save his people? How will the Lord preserve his sons? the tribe of Joseph and Judah. So see, Jacob's hope for his children is centered on Judah and Joseph. And so I think the, really point, the point I think we should be getting is this, Jacob has a hope that looks forward. Hope that looks forward to what God will do. Although he's about to die, although he won't see the future and he doesn't know how it's all going to pan out, he again sees God and sets his hope in God. Again, should we not learn from Jacob here? Uh, We cannot see what the future holds, but we can look forward with hope. Uh, Thomas Griffith said this, Our life will be weakened, narrowed, and even maimed if hope does not occupy a very definite place in our life. Uh, Dear church, rejoice that you do have hope we are not those who have no hope but just as we have faith that looks back to god's promises so we with hope look back look forward to, to the fulfillment of god's promises and again i want you to i want to point out to you two things that we must look to firstly we must look forward to the hope look forward with hope to god's patient grace Look forward with hope to God's patient grace. There's a, a wonderful glimpse of God's patience here with these first three brothers. Uh, despite Reuben and Simeon and Levi being wicked men, God is still patient, he, He's long suffering with them. In, in fact, with time, God will even overturn one brother's cursing into blessing. Uh, That brother is Levi. In Exodus 32, the tribe of Levi remained faithful to God when all the others abandoned God. And as a result, Levi, the Levites are honored and blessed by God. And the point is this. Despite the many failures of his people, God proves patient. He is long-suffering. When we sin and when we fall short, he doesn't just immediately throw us away and discard us. No, he's committed to his people, his long-suffering, he's, he's patient. I, I'm sure you've been comforted by Psalm 103, verse 8 and 11. Just remember God's promise here. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. What a comfort that should be in the uncertainties and the struggles of our life. Our God is one who is patient with us, who is long suffering, who is faithful. Now, here's another wonderful promise, particularly in temptation, but nevertheless the, the heart of the promise is a comfort. First Corinthians 10 13. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he also will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Dear, dear Christian, look forward with hope to God's patience in your life, patience in your life. Secondly, look forward with hope to God's redeeming grace. Look forward to God's redeeming grace. I'm thankful that we, we don't need to look forward to Joseph and Judah. Uh, fallen men. Now, as Christians, we look forward to the one to whom they look forward to. And, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Judah, right? He is the lion-hearted king who has conquered our enemies. Who's crushed our, our, our enemy, Satan, he is the ruler who is seated at the eternal throne with a scepter that, that he yields in authority. He is the, the praiseworthy one awaiting the tribute of the nations to come before him. We look to him. And Jesus is our Joseph. He's the true fruitful vine of Israel. He's the blessed one of God Almighty. He's the one in whom all spiritual blessings are to be found. And as our Judah and our Joseph, Jesus is the one who will ultimately redeem us, who will rescue us from this fallen world. He's the one who will draw us out of this world and bring us into his eternal blessedness, his kingdom. Uh, Listen to this promise that Jesus gives to Christians in Matthew 25, 34. Then the king, who is Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Dear Christian, that's your inheritance a blessed, eternal kingdom in the Father's presence. See, the Christian has hope to look forward to he or she will be saved and rescued from this fallen and and wicked world and they will be brought into the next and enjoy God's presence under God's kingship with his abundant blessings. Again, we, we perhaps cannot see what the future holds, the uncertainties that it has. But with hope we can see our God. And we can see him in and through his promises. That we belong to him. That He is gracious with us. He's patient with us. And he's the God who will ultimately rescue us. We might be hamstrung by our sin. But we can look forward to his patient grace. We, we might often be worried about tomorrow, but we can rest in his redeeming grace. As I conclude, uh, the death of Jacob, as with all deaths, give us an opportunity to look back and forward. An opportunity to see with faith what God has done, but also an opportunity to see with hope what God can still do. And whenever we speak of faith and hope, I'm sure you would agree, we also need to speak about love. Those two go go together. Often the New Testament draws them together, and rightly so. If I had to ask the question, uh, what is the source of our faith and hope in God? Would you not say it's the love of God? We, we love because he loved us. And how has he loved us? He has sent his son for us to, to die for us. And therefore we have put our faith in him and our hope in him. See, our, our faith and our love is deepened and strengthened as we remind ourselves of, of the love of God for us. Again, that's behind all these promises that God gives us, isn't it? The the love of God for his people, undeserving, rotten people. Yet a love that is steadfast and sure. We love because he's loved us and therefore let us put our faith and hope in him. I realize I've really addressed believers this evening I'm aware that many of you perhaps aren't believers, and many of you do not have faith, and you do not have hope. And and let me tell you, that puts you in a precarious position. In in this wicked world, in this fallen world with many troubles, you are without God and without hope. You don't have God behind you as your covenant God. You do not have God before you as your shepherd, and you do not have God beside you as your ever-present help. No, you only have the God who is above you, the God to whom you must give an account. And realize every single one of us will have to give an account to this God. When, when Jacob blesses Judah, he, he says not only that Judah will overthrow his enemies in verse 8, but he says that in verse 10, to him all the tribute will come, and that tribute is the obedience of the people. And when we understand that this prophecy is about about Jesus, the idea seems to be this. All people will bow the knee to Christ. Everyone will need to give an account to him. Some will bow the knee because they're conquered enemies. But others will bow the knee because they're converted enemies. Dear friend, who would you rather be? Would you not rather be one who bows the knee to Christ in obedient love love, because he, you've seen that he is a king who is not just above and beyond you, but a king who comes near, a king who says, a king who in love offers himself for brothers to save them, a king who gives himself and gives his promises, who bears his heart and commits himself to his people for their good. A king who is worthy to receive the tribute of our praise and our obedience. This is the king who is deserving of our faith and our hope and our love. And so may we look to him. May we, in the dark world that we live in, set our gaze, our faith, our hope, our love in our king. In the Redemption Hymnal, there's an old anonymous hymn that I think sums up the picture we see of Christ in the prophecy to Judah. It says this, We worship and adore thee before the mercy seat. We give thee praise and glory. Dear Lord, it is so sweet. We worship and adore thee who once for us was slain. Thou livest and reignest in glory. Thou soon will come again. We worship and adore thee for thy thy redeeming grace. Thou set thy love upon us. To thee be all all the praise. We worship and adore thee. A tribute, Lord, we bring of praise and glad thanksgiving and crown thee king of kings. May we look to this king of kings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you so thankful for your word and thankful for these prophecies that Jacob even gives, pointing us to your son, the blessed king who has conquered our enemies and who has promised to draw us to himself into your eternal kingdom. We do thank you, Lord, that you are the God who is behind us, committing himself to us in his covenant promises. We praise you that you're the God before us, leading us as a shepherd, protecting us, guiding us, leading us into truth and all righteousness. And thank you that you're the God beside us through your Holy Spirit, helping us, conforming us more and more into Christ, revealing more and more of him to our hearts. And so we pray even this evening, we pray that Christ would be preeminent that He would be the object of our affections and that all three of those beautiful virtues, faith, hope and love would be settled in Him. We pray this all in His name. Amen.